The scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is God's word. Amen. Good morning. Glad y'all are here this morning. Welcome to Redeemer City Church. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you for coming on a weekend where, of course, we have the storm coming, but it's also a holiday weekend. And so thank you all for giving your time this morning to come and join us in worship. If you haven't been here the last few weeks, we have been in the middle of going through a series of parables that Jesus is telling, particularly here in chapter uh, 13 of the Gospel of Matthew. As Drew and Brandon have talked about the last couple weeks, Jesus is describing the kingdom of heaven to his disciples, or excuse me, to his disciples and to the people that are gathered around him to listen. Two weeks ago, Drew explained the parable of the weeds, where Jesus showed that the kingdom of heaven is still at work even while there are weeds in the world, while there's evil in the world. And then last week, Brandon explained how the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven show that the kingdom of God is at work in slow, sometimes hidden ways. He talked about the way that God's kingdom is at work, what it's accomplishing. So this morning, with this series of parables, these two parables, Jesus is helping people identify what next. Jesus has explained how the kingdom's at work, how we can identify it, how we can discover it, but what happens when we actually do? What happens when we actually find God's kingdom? So let's read the two parables one more time, and then I'll pray for our time together this morning. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's pray. Jesus, as we look at your words together this morning, we ask that you would give us the wisdom to understand what they mean. Earlier in this chapter, you said that people don't understand your parables because they can't see, they can't hear, they can't understand. So help us this morning. We can't see, hear, or understand what you want to say about your kingdom without the Holy Spirit. So fill us with the Spirit this morning so that we can know you and your kingdom better. Be with us. Amen. Some of you may have heard of the fleet of 1715. For those of you who haven't, uh, 12 Spanish ships in 1715, July of 1715, left Cuba to return to Spain full of treasure, gold, jewels, coins. 
It's been estimated that these ships were carrying around $400 million in today's money worth of treasure in their cargo. As the ships were traveling north along the coast of Florida, a hurricane hit, probably a hurricane, a massive storm near Vero Beach. And 11 of the 12 ships sank off the coast. Now, at various times over the years, parts of this treasure have been found again. Most famously, in 2015, a group of men found about $4.5 million worth of Spanish gold, coins, jewels off of the coast. But there have also been stories of parts of the treasure even being washed up on the beach and found. So I want you to take a moment and imagine that you, your family, friends, go out to Vero Beach. Hopefully not in the next couple days, but sometime you go out to the beach and you're walking along the sand, you're slightly out into the water, maybe you go and scuba dive a little bit off the coast, and you find some of this treasure. How would you react? How excited would you be to discover some of this treasure? There's a great video on YouTube of one of the divers who found this large amount of coins a few years ago. Video, he's videotaping himself with his scuba mask on and everything as he goes to the bottom of the ocean. They've, they've driven a boat and uncovered some of the treasure. So now he's going down to see what they've uncovered. And his excitement, you can hear through the oxygen mask him screaming and yelling as he sees these coins on the ocean floor. He knows what he's just found. He knows how life-changing this find is. So how would you react? How would your life change after finding an incredible treasure? What would you do next? Well, this morning, we're going to look at how Jesus uses these two parables to point us to what happens next. When we find the treasure of the kingdom of heaven, what do we do? And I want to argue that this morning we should do two things. Finding the kingdom of God should lead us to celebration and to sacrifice. Let's look at first how it leads us to celebration. Look back at the two parables. Both of these men show us aspects of celebration. The second parable says that the pearl merchant recognized the great value of what he finds. Now, this is a man who had likely given his whole life to finding fine pearls. He searches for them. He studies them. He figures out how valuable they are. That's his job. But when he finds this pearl, he's immediately able to recognize it as a pearl of great value. Now, in the first parable, the man in the field isn't necessarily searching for anything. He might be working in the field, maybe he's happening to be wandering through it. Whatever happens, he finds this treasure. And how does he react? Jesus says he's overwhelmed with joy at what he finds. So we're meant here to see the connection between the two responses, to see the connection between these two aspects of celebration. 
You could easily replace one with the other. The text could have read that the man in the field recognized the great value of what he found or that the pearl merchant found the pearl and in his joy went and sold everything. Either way, the point is that celebration involves value and joy. We celebrate things that are valuable to us. And the recognition of that value leads us to take joy in it. I'll give you an example. Last Tuesday was my daughter Rebecca's birthday. And we took the day to celebrate her. She didn't do anything to earn that celebration. We celebrate her because she's valuable. We celebrate her because of who she is. Being created in God's image gives her inherent value that's worth celebrating just because of who she is. And that recognition of her value leads us to take joy in her. We throw a party. We decorate the house. We light birthday candles. We sing to her. We bake her a cake. We buy her gifts. We invite her friends over to join in the celebration, all because the value that she has leads us to joy and celebration. And Jesus says it's the same way with the kingdom of heaven. When someone finds the kingdom, they should immediately recognize how valuable it is. So this morning we should ask ourselves, do we see the value of the kingdom of heaven? Are we able to recognize the value of this treasure that we found? The Westminster Confession of Faith, which is the statement of faith that our church uses, encourages us that when we take communion, as we will later this morning, we should reflect on our salvation. We should pause to reflect on the treasure that we've found, to remind ourselves of when and how we discovered it. How did we find the kingdom of heaven? So take a moment and do that. Some of you might be like the man in the field. You weren't looking for the kingdom. You were just living life. Suddenly there in front of you was this treasure. Or maybe that's what's happening right now as you sit here. Someone brought you this morning or you showed up because that's what you're supposed to do on a Sunday. Either way, all of a sudden, the value of the treasure is right in front of you. Our hope is that this morning you're watching us take joy in the kingdom of heaven, that you're watching it at work as imperfectly as we do that. You hear the songs that we sing about a marvelous Savior, about the love of God. You hear our prayers confessing sin, thanking God for his gifts, asking him for help. Have you been able to see a little bit of the value of the kingdom of heaven? Or maybe some of you, as you reflect on finding the treasure, are like the merchant. You made a career of searching for fine pearls. You searched everywhere in life for value. You searched art, music, sports, family, friends, love, sex, money, power, career. You've searched all those things 
but then suddenly you discovered the pearl of great value. You discovered the kingdom. Or maybe you're here and you have yet to find that thing of great value. You're still looking. Well, again, we hope that this morning as we reflect on the kingdom, that you'll recognize the value that's in front of you. We hope you do that in our time together. But many of you have arrived this morning saying, I've found the kingdom. I've discovered the life-changing message of Jesus dying on the cross for me. So my question for you is, how's your joy? Now, I don't mean necessarily how is your external jubilance because joy doesn't always mean that you jump around, yell in excitement. In fact, sometimes that can be a way of trying to manufacture joy that isn't really there. The question is, regardless of how you express it externally, how is your internal heart joy over the kingdom of heaven? If people could see inside of your heart, would they find it overflowing with joy for the kingdom of heaven? Well, if you're like me, that's a tough question to be honest about because there are a lot of times that I don't feel joy over Jesus and his kingdom. So it begs a further question, what's the problem? Why does my or your joy for the kingdom of heaven sometimes feel weak or completely absent? And I think the problem might lie in a little bit of what Brandon and Drew talked about these last couple weeks. It's not always easy to see the kingdom of heaven at work. Brandon talked about that we live in a time called the now and the not yet. The kingdom is at work, but not completely. The kingdom is at work, but there are still weeds. There's still evil in the world. The kingdom's working in small ways, like a mustard seed. It's growing slow. Or hidden ways, like the leaven inside of the flour that we can't see it at work. And those things make it hard for our heart to find joy in the kingdom. So true joy in the kingdom of heaven, in the midst of evil weeds and slow-working leaven, can only be found in what we call hopeful expectation. You have to develop an expectation of hope that the kingdom is really at work, that it's really on the way. So to find true joy in the kingdom requires small, slow, daily practices of hope. Spending time in God's word, meditating on it reflecting on his story and the way he's entered our world. Time in slow, consistent, difficult, wrestling prayer with God. Daily repenting and confessing, living with authenticity about your own brokenness in front of other people. Slow, daily practices of hope. Last week, Brandon also mentioned some of his struggles with doing family devotionals with his kids. He talked about how the slow, patient, hopeful work 
eventually did begin to produce fruit. And I'm sure if we asked him, he would say that among that fruit was joy. Because hope finds its strength outside of ourselves. Hope relies on someone greater than us working where we can't see. Someone put that treasure in the field. Someone created that pearl inside the oyster at the bottom of the ocean. And that same someone is at work bringing about a kingdom. The source of our hope is in faithful expectation of what Jesus is doing. He's at work bringing about the kingdom even when we can't see it. And so our patient kingdom practices will produce joy because the one that we hope in is the author of joy. He gives it through the Spirit, Jesus. So, when we find joy in the thing that we value, then we can celebrate. But a life lived in celebration of the kingdom of heaven is also a life that calls for sacrifice. That's our second point this morning. Finding the kingdom should lead us to sacrifice. Now, you might ask, why does it lead us to sacrifice? I thought grace was free. I thought Jesus already paid the ultimate sacrifice for me when he died on the cross. And you're 100% right. All of that is true. But paradoxically, as one author said, the kingdom of God is both free and costs everything. Let me try to explain what that means in relation to these two parables. Look at them again. Both of them end the same way. They end with both men selling all they have to obtain the thing of value that they found. Now, as is true with all parables, this parable leaves some details out about these men, about their lives. We don't know how much all that they have is actually worth. We don't know what they plan to do with the treasure or the pearl after the story because that's not the point of the parable. The point is that regardless of whether either of them is rich or poor, regardless of how much either of their possessions are really worth, regardless of what they plan to do with the treasure after they've found it, both of these men perceive that they've found something worth more than everything else that they have worth so much more that they immediately go and sell everything. And that's where the sacrifice comes in. When you hear sacrifice, I don't want you this morning to think of some sort of offering that you have to give God to please him. I almost thought of using the word cost here, but we run into the same problem. This is not a transaction, and I want to make sure that's very clear. You absolutely cannot buy the kingdom of heaven. This is 100% clear in the Bible. The kingdom of heaven is not for sale. There is nothing you can pay or do to earn it. That's not what the parable is saying. This is not a transaction where you sacrifice a certain amount of things and if they're enough, then you get the kingdom of heaven as a reward. Instead, 
sacrifice here is the way in which these two men reprioritize things in their life as a response to what they've found. What they're willing to lay down for the sake of possessing the treasure. Because remember the order here. They find the treasure first. They find the pearl first. Then they sell everything. There was a celebration of the discovery followed by a sacrifice of reorienting the value system of their life around the treasure. And that, I think, is the reason that we're not told how much each man's possessions were really worth, because that doesn't matter. The parable isn't teaching that there's a certain amount of money or a certain number of things that we have to have to exchange for the kingdom. Instead, what Jesus wants us to understand from this parable is the place of value that the kingdom of heaven should hold in our lives. It should hold a sacrificial place, a place that calls you to give up all for the kingdom. That's how valuable it is, says Jesus. It's so incredibly priceless that you have no choice but to sell everything when you find it, to sacrifice anything and everything. So when you hear that this morning, where do you hesitate? Where do you say, amen, but I'll give up everything except, you know, like that, that thing. Where's that for you? And it doesn't even have to be explicitly sinful. Certainly it can be an idol of sex or money or power, but it might just be your comfort, your family, your college football team. That little thing that you think, I'm all in, Jesus, but it would be nice if just, just maybe I could just keep this thing. What is that for you? And what's happening in your heart that brings that thing to mind when we start to talk about this? Well, let me tell you, for me, it's safety and security. That takes a lot of different forms in my life, but much of my life has been a journey of avoiding weakness and suffering. So I have to have safety and security. I won't unpack my whole story this morning, although you can certainly ask me at some point about it, but there's a reason that I defend myself so quickly if someone tells me I'm wrong about something. Or I pull my phone out and I search for the answer if I come across something that I don't know. Because I use these things to make me feel safe and secure. Man, it would be hard if Jesus took that away. Can you imagine being in a position where you couldn't create your own safety and security in life? Maybe for some of you that's not a big deal. But for me it is. So what is it for you? So we say, okay, Jesus, I get it. I get that you're saying that I have to enter into this kingdom 
with a willingness to give up everything. But why? Why am I supposed to believe that this kingdom really is that valuable? Well, I would say let's flip that question for a minute. Why is everything that you own so valuable to you? Why are there things that you might not give up for the sake of the kingdom? Well, for a lot of reasons, right? My stuff gives me security. It gives me protection. It gives me comfort, pleasure, enjoyment, purpose in life. I just bought a new house last spring. I love my house. It has almost everything that our family was looking for in a house. But since we moved in a few months ago, the AC went out. The dishwasher broke. I have to pay bills every month to maintain the house. I have to mow my yard and trim stuff constantly. In Kentucky, there was like this thing called winter and you didn't have to do that stuff. <laughs> as great as my house is, it's never quite fully perfect. In fact, now that I think about it, nothing that I own is actually like that. None of it ever really completely lives up to what I hoped for it. Nothing I own ever really gets me what I'm longing for. And I don't think I'm alone. My guess is that if you think about everything you own, the same thing happens. So what if you knew that there was something out there that did what Jesus was saying? Something that really did fulfill your deepest longings that met the deepest needs of your heart, what would you be willing to give up for that? I think I'd sell everything. I think I would give up everything for that. And that's the point of the parable. There is a treasure worth sacrificing everything for the kingdom of heaven. One author said it like this. These great and costly treasures, so incomparably wonderful, are beyond description. They're so magnificent and altogether lovely that they cannot be weighed in the same scales with any other riches that men cherish. They stand alone in a class by themselves. Shall the forgiveness of sins be valued in terms of dollars and cents? Shall peace with God be compared with gold and silver? Shall the blessings of salvation for us and for our children in God's covenant be measured on the same scale as houses and lands? Can fame and earthly glory ever be valued in comparable terms with everlasting life? Greater than all of life's treasures, far surpassing them all, standing in a class apart are the glorious riches of the kingdom of heaven. They are everlasting, incorruptible, and undefiled, enduring when all earth's treasures are destroyed, never exhausted or depleted, never tarnished or faded. They ever satisfy now and forever. That's what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of heaven but I want to acknowledge that that leaves us with one last question. Probably the question that the audience that Jesus was talking to was thinking of. Maybe the question that you're thinking of right now. All right, Jesus, I get it. There's a kingdom. 
It's valuable. It's the most valuable thing out there. It's worth giving up everything for. You're saying it's the true thing of value that I've always been searching for. The thing that can do what none of my other possessions can or will be able to ever do for me. But how do I know for sure? How can I be sure that what you're saying about this kingdom is really true? Because you're asking me to take a risk, a big risk. You're asking for everything. You're asking me to reorient my entire life around this thing. I gotta know if it's worth it. How do I know? And I think Jesus would look at you and I think he would say, I understand. So I'll show you. I'll show you first so that you can know. I'll give up everything. I'll give up my place in the kingdom of heaven and I'll become a man. I'll give up my family when they reject me. I'll give up my wealth and fame to serve. I'll give up friends when they betray me. I'll give up my own righteous standing with my father when I take your sin away. I'll give up my eternal life on the throne in the kingdom of heaven for death on a cross here on earth so that you can see what the kingdom is really worth. It's worth everything. You can't purchase it, but I'll purchase you for it. So this morning, I hope that you hear what Jesus gave up for the kingdom because we're each part of the kingdom of God. And he gave us gave up his life for us, for the kingdom. That's what it's worth. That's how you know it's worth it. And if you came uncertain this morning, not yet having found the kingdom, I hope that you did this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, we hope that in some small way, um, this is what you're talking about that we're able to, to understand it, not because of our own ability, but because of your spirit. So we pray this morning that if, if this is true, if this is what you're trying to teach us, that you would put it in our hearts through the power of your spirit, that you would allow us to celebrate the joy of the kingdom, that you would give us a supernatural joy as a fruit of your spirit, and that we would live our lives oriented around your kingdom, giving up everything for your kingdom, not to buy it, but because we've been bought for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. The benediction is meant to send us out with celebration into the world so that we can show the treasure that we found. So hear these words of the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.